All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Go ahead and find a seat. That would be great. I want to say hello to all of you that are worshiping with us today. My name is Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff here at New Life. Uh, I also want to say a big hello to all of those that are worshiping with us online today, as well as the 160-some people that have been attending down in the venue, down in the gym. Uh, God's just been growing that. That's, that's amazing. As well as there's probably about 100 or more people that are worshiping with us on week four of our brand-new church plant out in North Platte right now. So I'm saying hello to all of them. Yeah. So that's why there's a few extra seats here. If you're wondering, why is there extra seats? Because we are purposefully continuing to make room for more and more people. That's why we're going into this new series called I Am Second. I Am Second. How many of you guys have ever been to the website www.iamsecond.com? Anybody? All right, that's good, man. We've got about 12 people here. Probably everyone in the gym raised their hand. Um, and in the first service, we had two people, so I first started to tell them about the internet, but I don't think I had to do that with you guys. There's this thing called the internet, and you can search for different things. IamSecond.com has been around for a lot of years. The intent of the campaign is to get uh, famous people to step out of the shadows, sit in a seat, get lit up with a light, and then to tell their story about how Jesus is first in their life and how they have become second. And today, that's kind of what we're going to pick up. We're going to be running this teaching series between now and the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Between now and then, it's my desire, um, you know, trying to work with the, with the Holy Spirit to empower you and to encourage you to come out of the shadows and take your story boldly and without shame and to share it with all authority that God has given you to tell the good news about how Jesus is first in your life and how you have grown very, very, very content being second. Now, in the world that we live in, second is typically something that's looked down on, isn't it? So I want to congratulate all of you that are sitting in one of our venues right now in the second row. You have chose wisely for the I Am Second series. It could even be second in the balcony, all right? So it all, it all counts. But there's some things about, about second that are, actually can be very good, such as if you were as amazing that you could compete on the world stage in the Olympics and you got second place... That'd be good, right? Not bad. Now you guys are like, no, man, it wouldn't be good at all. Or gold or nothing. Are you serious? Out of everybody on the planet, coming in second, getting a silver medal, that's pretty good, all right? Not bad, not bad. You can, you'd wear that boldly around your neck. You'd come back to your country, and people would cheer for you. It'd be awesome. But, however, if you ran for the president of the United States and you came in second, that would be bad, all right? That's where you get called a loser, right? The big L goes on your forehead, and you lost. And that might be your only moment at it. However, if you remember back to elementary school, when everyone was out on the playground field, and you're going to play kickball, and then captains got picked, do you remember that eerie feeling like, please don't pick me last? So when you got picked second at kickball, that was good, because you're right behind the captain. Not too shabby, all right? Not too shabby. But if you're like me, and I used to live in Alaska for a number of years, if you're out in Alaska in the woods being chased by a bear, coming in second's not good, all right? I'm just going to tell you. It's just not good. It's not good. In fact, when we went hunting, one of the things on the checklist, sleeping bag, rifle, food, ammunition, a person that's slower than you. That's, that all went to the equation. That, that meant you were coming home from that hunting trip. All right, but how about second in charge? If you're second in charge at your work, 
You're second in command. You, and someone's complaining to you, you always have someone to buffer them off to. You know, you can, you can talk to my boss. So that's not bad. But if you're caught in a wild, wild west moment and someone's challenging you to a pistol draw at high noon and you're standing out there and you happen to pull your pistol second, it's a bad day, isn't it? All right, a bad day. But let me end with this one. The second, the second mouse always gets the cheese. Right? The first one gets caught in the trap. The second one, thank you, sir. I'm going to take the cheese and I'm out of here. So see, second isn't always that bad, all right? Are you tracking with me? Are you with me? So the question that I have for you today is, who's second? Are you second? Or is Jesus second? There is a way to try to live out a Christianity where you keep striving to be first and you keep trying to keep Jesus second. It's very defeating. It's not, it's not much fun. It sounds, it sounds a lot like this word called religion. It's dead. It's dry. It's crusty. It's nothing that's inspiring. It doesn't inspire anyone else. Who is second in your life, honestly? I mean, if you had to evaluate your life, you looked at how you dealt with your finances. You looked at how you dealt with relationships. You know, you you looked at how you dealt with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God gave you. Who are you really living for? And today I need I need to let you know that there's a power in being second. The first thing about that's powerful about being second is the fact that Jesus is now your Lord and your leader. Right? That's powerful. Um, The second thing is that when you are second, then he who is first, his story is the one that gets told. Because how, if you're living first in your life, guess which story you're trying to tell the world? Your story. It's very prideful. It's very arrogant. No matter how you package it, it's going to come across that way. But when Jesus is first and you are second, now you've got something going on. Now you've got a moment where the story of Jesus is being told. So today in our auditorium and those that are listening with us from any of our auditoriums today, there's three groups of people that are here. First, you got the people that are in the game. If you consider it from the aspect of basketball or football, your spiritual life, there are those who are on the field. They're in the game. They're running the play. You know, they, they're given the best that they know how to give. They're, they're taking their spirituality. They're taking their commitment to Christ. They're putting it out on the field. And they're going, I'm going to live for Christ. Sometimes they score great touchdowns and great things happen. And in other times, they get set back. They even get tackled in the backfield. Or they, they throw up the ball and they miss the hoop altogether. But they're not people that just hang their head down and walk off the field. They pick themselves back up and they keep playing the game because they realize Jesus is first, I am second, I'm living for something greater than me. And many of you are in the game. Many of you are caring about you know, the eternity of family members, co-workers. You're caring about the fact that people need to know Jesus, and you're willing to share that story with them when God gives you the opportunity. And I want to say thank you for those of you who are in the game. But there's another group, and that's those that are sitting on the bench today. You're sitting on the bench. You're sitting on the sidelines. You're on the team, but you're content sitting on the bench. You're on the bench with with your story of Jesus because maybe you don't feel worthy enough to share it. Maybe you look at your own personal life and you see how screwed up and how messed up it is and you're just like, I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So you sit on the sidelines. You take yourself out of the game. Or maybe you're on the team but you just don't think that Jesus is good enough. 
Maybe you think, I'm on the team, but I'm on the team because I fill a seat in a church. And let the pastor be the one. who Let him be the quarterback. Let him tell everybody about Jesus. There's a last group of people, though. And some of you are here today, and you're hearing my voice, and you're the folks that are just in the stands. You're in the bleachers. You're not content with it, or you wouldn't be here right now. You're not satisfied with it, or you wouldn't be listening to, to the sermon right now. There's something about you that's telling you, sitting in the bleachers, that Jesus is not the Lord and leader of your life, is not the way you want to finish life. And I'm hoping that through this teaching series that you would be inspired enough to get out of the bleachers, out of the stands, and get into the game. And throughout this teaching series, this white chair that's behind me is going to be a place where you're going to see people sit down in it, and they're going to tell you their story. Some of them are going to help me tell the biblical story of different characters and situations that we're going to be preaching from, but you're going to have people in every one of our services sit down in this chair, and they're going to tell their story. So let me help you understand today as we kick this series off how Jeff Baker, how he got out of the bleachers, and how he got into the game. I grew up in church all my life. Uh, Some of my first memories are running around the fellowship hall of a church, you know, trying to grab as many cookies from a church potluck as possible, hiding from my parents in the fellowship hall. Remember my parents being highly involved in church. They uh, they really helped model Jesus for me. Uh, My parents were my Sunday school teachers at times. My parents were my children's uh, church leaders at times. I remember as a kid memorizing scripture just so I could get my hand and stick it into the basket where I could pull out some old candy that's about 20 years old. And you pull out that piece of candy, I stuck it in my mouth one day in Sunday school and it ripped my tooth right out of my head. I re- Those are just good memories for a boy at church. But I, I remember in that process as I started getting older into my teen years that I was growing discontent. I was, I was growing distant. I was wondering, does this thing even have purpose to it at all? When I was 15 years old, I went off to a youth convention, and I was sitting in the balcony of the youth convention where all good spiritual-minded teenagers sit. And in that spot at the end of a service, God spoke to my heart, and he said, Jeff, I'm calling your life out for ministry. I want you to serve me with your life. I want everything you have. At that point in, of my life, I... I just had not had a pastor that I was super excited about. I I hadn't met a bunch of people that were in ministry that I was just sold out to, that I went, man, I want my life to look like that guy. I mean, at that stage of my life, I'm the quarterback of our football team. I'm the captain of our wrestling team. I mean, I've got it going on. I've got friends. I'm popular. I I can't see myself at this stage of my life just wanting to read the Bible 24-7, pray 24-7, be in a church. It just sounded boring because I didn't have the example that I was looking for to sink my teeth into. I remember the enemy really taking me on a wild ride because when I was 16 years old, in trying to get away from that call, I started dabbling into, you know, sex. I started dabbling into all of the other features that a teenager would trying to get his hands on in the world. And I was in my senior year of high school when my oldest daughter, Brittany, was born. And I had to finish high school in that manner. And I, as a, as a man, as a, as a boy at the time, I wanted to prove myself that I could be a man. And I could take care of this kid. I could take care of a family. So I got married, went straight into the Air Force, graduated high school early. 
and just said, I'm going to go prove I can make something of myself. Now, you, what you need to know is that there was still this desire to know God, but I, I didn't understand God's grace. I didn't understand mercy. I, I really didn't understand what a relationship with God was. And, but I was trying, and I was trying to please God, but I kept falling flat on my face. And I remember this anxiety and this frustration growing in me towards God until one day in Bellevue, Nebraska, I stood on the asphalt of a large parking lot, stuck my finger up to God, and I said, God, you must not be real. You must not have power, or you would have saved me from this situation, and you would be helping me right now. I'm never going to follow you again. And that was the day I decided to live life the way Jeff Baker thought it should be lived. My life rapidly started falling apart. My love for my wife grew completely cold. I started looking at my friends and noticing they were the same age and look at the freedom that they had. They weren't bound to a wife. They weren't bound to children. They could do what they wanted to over the weekend. And I eventually went to my wife and I just looked her in the eye with a stone cold heart and I told her, I don't have anything to do with you. I want you to get out of my life and I want the kids to go with you. And that was the day I kicked my family out of my life. I thought, man, now we can live. Now I can do what I want to do. Now I can really make Jeff Baker happy. And I just kept losing things. I kept losing significant relationships. I kept losing finances. I was foolish with my finances. I I lost my own apartment. I ended up um, sleeping in an apartment with these two other guys I worked with on a couch in the living room because that was the couch from my family and they didn't have a couch. And I said, I'll give you a couch if I can sleep on the couch. And that's where I found myself. And one night, months and months later, when I had nothing laying on this couch that every time I laid my head on it, it reminded me of my family. It reminded me of the things that I was supposed to be living for. That at three o'clock in the morning in an apartment in Bellevue, Nebraska, I knelt down and I said these words, God, if, if you will take me back. I didn't know grace. I didn't, I didn't know what it meant to be forgiven by God. If you will take me back, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I, re- I repent before you if you'll take me back. And at that moment, I heard God's voices as clear and as loud as I did when I was 15 years old. And God said these words to me of which I'll never forget. Welcome home, my son. And don't ever forget that the call that I have on your life, it never changes. And it was as if in that moment, God took all of those past years from 15 to this moment of my life and he just wiped them away and he took me back to this stage of my life at 15. And he goes, let's start there again. And I started following God. I started getting my life right. And eventually, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, I, I was able to win the, win the heart of my wife back. And I was able to win the heart of my children back. And I was able to get back on track. And I used the, the military for all of its educational purposes to start working on all the Bible classes I was needed to work on. And God put mentors around my life. And he brought just the people that I needed to start restoring me and helping me put my feet back on the ground. And in 1994... My wife and I and our kids, we launched out of the military and went into full-time ministry. And the first place we went couldn't pay us a dime, but we knew that's where God wanted us. And we haven't ever looked back since then. Now, I get the privilege of being ordained. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor of a, of a thriving, growing church that's impacting the many. I never want to forget where I came from, but I know this one thing is true, that without having Jesus first, I would never be where I'm at today. My name is Jeff Baker, and I am content at being second. (laughs) 
You see, when Jesus gets a hold of someone's life, he has the ability to radically transform them. And that's what Jesus was doing. As Jesus was preaching, as Jesus was going from village to village, town to town, he was restoring people. He was taking them from this brokenness, and he was putting their pieces back together and empowering them to be something they never thought they could be. And today we're going to be preaching out of John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to John chapter 4. And as you are opening those up, I've asked for someone in our church to help us understand. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. And I've asked for that to be in a monologue form to help us put, put yourself into the shoes of the woman at the well. What was her experience with Jesus? How was her life transformed? Here's John chapter 4. I met him outside of my town. He was thirsty, and he asked me for a drink. It was a simple request, but you see, people like him didn't talk to people like me. The people in my own town wouldn't even talk to me, except maybe to judge me. I knew what they said about me when I wasn't around, so I avoided them. I would only go to this place outside of town when I knew no one else would be there. In a way, I felt like I deserved it. I had made a mess of my life. I had made a lot of mistakes. I had been married a few times. Five, to be exact, Nobody really knew how many times I'd been married. They just knew my life was a mess. Each time, I hoped it would be different. It always started out great in the beginning. I don't know what happened. But something always happened. Things changed. And no matter how hard I tried... Each marriage ended the same way, with pain and, and yelling and bad memories. I guess I gave up on marriage. I gave up hope. I met someone else, and we were living together. He wanted to marry me, but I just couldn't do it. I had tried marriage, and I couldn't make it work. That's when I met this man. I was outside of town getting a drink for myself, and he asked me to get him one too. I couldn't understand why he was trying to talk with me. So I asked him. Do you know what he said? He said, that if I knew who he was, that I would ask him for a drink. It didn't make any sense, but out of curiosity, I agreed. And I asked him to give me a drink. That's, that's when it happened. You know, 
Everyone knew part of my story, but there was no one that knew everything. He did. He told me everything I had ever done. He knew I'd been married five times. He knew that I was living with a man who wasn't my husband. He knew things about me that only God could know. He knew everything. I, I told him that the people in my town believed that someday someone like him would come. Someone who knew everything, who had all the answers, would one day come to our people. He simply said, I am that person. Something changed in me that day. I believed in him. I believed he was the one we had all been waiting for. Though he knew everything about me, he showed me forgiveness, not condemnation. He showed me kindness, not judgment. He knew me, all my mistakes, and and he still talked with me. He still cared about me. He still forgave me. I went back to town and I told everyone about this man. They were as amazed as I was. He was the one that we had all been waiting for. The one who came to save the world. What's his name, you ask? His name is Jesus. I am the woman at the well. And I am second. All right, that's the story from the biblical perspective. It's time for you to get into the game. It's time for you to figure out how to get out of the bleachers, how to get off the bench. It's time for you to get into the game. It's time for you to figure out while you're in the game how to be the most productive. People are literally dying to hear your story. And I mean that, that literally. There are people that are dying, they're waiting, without you telling them about how Jesus has transformed and changed your life. They may just spend the rest of eternity away from God. So let's use John chapter 4 to figure out our, the power um, that's in your story and what you need and what we need to do with it. So why don't you take a look with me, John chapter 4. We're going to be looking in verse 4 through 7. It says, now he, that's Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given uh, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The first thing, if you want your story not to fall flat, but you want your story to have power when you're out there sharing it is, first, you have to be real. I mean, let's just break this down for a moment. Jews hated Samaritans. They didn't like each other. 
They wouldn't talk to each other. Many of them would travel extra hours or days to not even walk through one another's territory. If they found each other, Jews, because of their guidelines and their religious um, rules, would look at a Samaritan and literally call them unclean. Now, when a Jew calls something unclean, what they mean is don't touch it, don't eat it, don't get near it, stay away from it. And they referred to these Samaritans as unclean, less than people. Jesus doesn't have to travel through uh, this particular region. Jesus doesn't have to go through Samaria. He doesn't have to walk through Sakaar. Jesus chose to. Jesus chose to because there was a lesson that you and I needed to learn. There was a lesson that his disciples needed to hear. Jesus, he crossed over the cultural divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. He looked beyond the differences that they shared with one another. And he sat down at this well while his disciples went to go find some food very purposefully. And when this woman comes, Jesus doesn't stereotype her. Jesus doesn't ridicule her. Jesus doesn't think less than her. Jesus seizes a moment. He doesn't condemn her. He accepts her. I think one of the first things you're going to have to you know get through our thick american skulls is your story isn't always going to be shared with people that are just like you your story isn't always going to be shared with the people you want it to be shared with by the way when jesus literally is first in your life you don't own your story anymore it's not your story to decide what you're going to do with it it's his story and when he says share it our act is obedience and we go yes sir how how much do you want me to share how do you want me to get into this conversation what do you want me to say it's not about the the race uh the skin color the country that someone comes from the um the sinful background that they have whatever stereotype you might have on them when jesus says share the story our job is to say yes sir and then share it but that's being real See, we're not being real when we're just sharing our story with just the people we're comfortable with, with the people that are just like us, with the people that are going to pat us on the back and make it comfortable for us. So we ought to be real. Here's another thing about Jesus that made it real. He said he was thirsty and he was tired. See, from an archaeological perspective and even a geographical perspective, when Jesus was traveling this distance, this was probably a two-day journey. That he, had, that he had gone from Judea to the town of Sychar. That's quite a distance. And then Jesus shows up at what the Bible says was the sixth hour. That would be like high noon when the sun is blazing. And at that moment, when the sun is blazing, they've been walking for two days. Jesus is wore out. He's tired. He's tired enough that his disciples go in for food. And he goes, guys, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay right here. You know, bring me something if you want to. Because we know later on they must have brought him food and Jesus wasn't eating it. And Jesus says to him, guys, I've had a meal that you know nothing of when he was meeting with this woman at the well. One of the things about being real is there's nothing wrong with humbling yourself and confessing that you, A, don't know all the answers. There's, there's something that is very appealing about a person that's walking with a humbled heart, not somebody that's walking with a prideful heart. Humbleness is attractive. You know, pride and arrogance are disgusting. There's nothing wrong with asking for some help. That's what Jesus did. Jesus says, look, I got nothing to dig down into this well with. I seriously, I would really like just a regular cup of water. I'm going to tell you about some other kind of water, but I would really like it. And he uses this vulnerability and he uses this, you know, humbleness to say, I need help. Have you ever asked someone for help? Have you? I mean, you didn't want to, right guys? (laughs) I don't, I really don't want to. But when you did, did you find someone that just beat you up because you asked him for help? 
(laughs) No, you typically found humanity was much more kind than you ever thought. And you probably opened up the door for, for some communication and some relationships that you wouldn't otherwise have if you didn't ask for help. That's being real, though. Being real enough just to not walk into a situation and condemn people because you think you know all the right answers or, you know, you know stomp all over someone's life because you're a Christian and they're not and you're going to tell them how it is. I'm going to tell you what it means to, you know, follow God. And so, you know, here's Jesus. He, he's not doing that. He's not proclaiming, you know, to, you know, shut the woman down and tell her about all the things that are completely wrong with her off the bat. He's just coming to her humbly and saying, listen, woman, I need something from you. That means you, you've got you've to care. You've got to really care more about God's opinion than man's opinion. Because if man would have come out of the village and seen Jesus talking to the woman that day, wow they would have thought, who is this Jesus guy? He's not a prophet. He should know that this woman's got a messed up. He should know about all this stuff. Jesus cared more about his father's opinion. Maybe a snapshot into my life. One of the things that I have to continually wrestle with is caring more about God's opinion than your opinion. You know, as a lead pastor, I get a lot of people's opinions. I get a lot of people's thoughts. I get a lot of people's ideas. I get a lot of feedback, you know, from what happens here on Sundays and changes that we make and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, if, and one of the things I have to wrestle with is, am I going to care more about your opinion or am I going to care about God's opinion? And that's something that Jeff Baker has to wrestle with. I don't like that temptation, but it's the real deal. It's the thing. It comes at me, and I have to fight against that all the time to say, God, your opinion matters more than, than people's and man's opinion. Because if I care more about your opinion, that's the day I stop being a spiritual leader. Because if I really care about your opinion, then I'm probably not going to challenge you in the way that God wants you to be challenged, right? Because I'm going to be worried, what are you really going to say? You might leave the church. You might walk away. You might stop giving financially. You might stop volunteering. So I wouldn't challenge you like I need to. And inside of this heart, I have to keep wrestling going, God, help me, help me to respect your opinion more than man's opinion. So I know what it's like to wrestle with that realness and go, I'm going to be real and vulnerable. And when I shared my story a minute ago, You know, that was me wrestling through, going, God, your opinion matters most. You're the one who told me to do that. But there's some folks that might have heard that story and go, well, man, how can that guy be our our senior pastor? How can that guy, excuse me, be our lead pastor? How can he be that when he has that kind of a past? This is messed up. I'm never coming back to this church. But I'm banking on something completely the opposite. I'm banking on the fact that when we're vulnerable and when we're real, then God has something to use. And God uses that to impact other people's lives. So whose opinion matters most today? Because whoever's opinion you're living your life to please, that's what's controlling you. Is, Is Christ's opinion of you controlling you? Is it what matters most? Or is it someone else's opinion on this earth? Because if you care more about God's opinion for your life, now your story has power and it's gonna be shared with authority. If you care more about man's opinion, your story is going to fall flat and it's going to be powerless. Most of the time, it'll never be shared. So if you want your your story to have power and you want to make an impact, you're going to have to be real and you're going to have to say, God, I care about your opinion more than anyone else's. The second thing, though, that we see here is that we have to be intentional. Look at what happens in verses 7 through 14. It says that when, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Um... A Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life got to be intentional look with me at these observations jesus is the one who starts the conversation many of us we try to live our lives going people will just see they'll see the christ-centered life they'll see some of the decisions that i make they'll see the fact that my car pulls out of my driveway every sunday morning and it goes to church that'll be a powerful witness to them notice that jesus doesn't sit there by the well and just go hey woman look at me i'm kind i'm wonderful I'm dressed like Jesus, by the way. Right? Look at me. Look at the things I do. No, notice that Jesus didn't take that approach. That Jesus intentionally engaged in a conversation with her. He went beyond just, I'm Jesus, I'm good, to I know you. I want you to know my Father. And he engages in a conversation that starts leading her. I want you to know something today. To be intentional about sharing the power of your story is going to require you to open up your mouth and share your story at times. But notice the other thing Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say to this woman, hey woman, I've got some great solutions for you. I want to take you to my church and I want you to sit next to me on Sunday and I want my pastor to tell you about Jesus. He takes the initiative right there at the watering hole to start telling her about Jesus. Jesus initiates a conversation that ends up transforming this woman's life but notice another thing jesus did jesus used something that was very common to help navigate his story to lead this woman to an understanding of god's grace god's power god's love god's forgiveness and eternity with god what did jesus use that was common at that moment to help make that happen water right He takes something as simple as water and he starts using that. He's intentional about taking this conversation that's happening and going, woman, I know we all need water on this earth. Our bodies were made that we have to have water every so often, every so many days, every so many hours. You know, our body desires fluids, but I have a drink for you that you know nothing of. And he takes that and he's intentional about helping to understand it. And that's the same thing for you and me. Our world, our world is full of God's creation that God wants us to use. There's pieces of our story that when we're standing in the workplace and you're working on something, it should remind you, wow, this is a great opportunity for me to share part of my story. Wow, this is a great opportunity for me to ask a question and see if there's even interest there to share more of my story. There's all kinds of things around us. If we'll be sensitive by God's spirit to look for them, God will open up those opportunities for us. But another thing that Jesus did that we need to be aware of is Jesus spoke in a language she could understand. You don't go out and share your story using all these Christianese words. You don't go out into the world sharing your story using words like sanctification and justification and, you know, even salvation. What in the world is that stuff? Use common language when you share your story. That's what's going to make it powerful. Don't turn into the TV preacher on people. They don't like that. That's appalling to people. When you're standing there with them and you go, you're just going to turn into the Bible thumper on them. Don't do that. Remember, Jesus spoke clearly and concisely. He was short and to the point, but he wasn't offensive. When 
We're wanting to share our story and being intentional. We have to realize that we, we, we got to step out there and make something happen. Don't be like those people that just talk about ideas. Be, about the, be the kind of people that make things happen. So in your spiritual life, are you someone that just talks about ideas? Well, I know, man, I probably should, I probably should share my story with that friend because, man, they've opened the door up for me like three different times asking me about my church. And, you know, they've even asked me, you know, man, what does it mean to live for God? And I just kind of said, well, you should probably go talk to my pastor. You know, I've missed key opportunities. So instead of talking about it, are you someone that's actually doing it? I want you to be people that are doing it because I, I don't want you to be the kind of folks that live with regrets, going, man, I should have done this, and I should have done that. I should have shared my faith here. I should have shared my faith there. I want you to create great memories and great moments where I shared the hope of Jesus with a friend, and that friend gave their life to Christ. That's amazing. I want you to be the kind of people that are walking by faith, that you're creating a legacy of faith, that you could move from this town and come back 10 years later, and there's someone sitting in the second row because of you. There's someone following Jesus because of you. That's creating a legacy of faith. That's what God's looking for. That's what God wants for our lives. So notice a couple of last observations about the intentionality of Jesus. Jesus didn't write the woman off because because of who she was, you know, how she carried herself. Jesus didn't write this woman off because she was a Samaritan. He, He didn't allow that to stop him from sharing his story. Just remember that. Let that soak into you. Because we, we, we shut down the power of our story over and over and over again. And that's not what Jesus is about. The, the, the last observation is, though, never assume that your silent, Christ-centered living is enough for people. Never assume that people know I'm a Christian, they'll ask me. Never assume that. There are people literally waiting for you to tell them about Jesus. They're dying to hear your story. Last thing, though, is this. Your story is meant to empower others to tell their story. Take a look at these last passages here in John chapter 4. It says, Then, leaving her water jar, notice, she left her water jar. She went to the well to get water. After meeting with Jesus, she forgot why she was even there. That's a good encounter with God, by the way. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, and she said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? They came out, right, of the town, and they made their way toward Jesus. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's awesome. She shared what God had done. Um, He told me everything that I ever did. That's her testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of the words of Jesus, many more became believers. That's awesome. Jesus inspires this woman. He literally encourages this woman to look beyond her sin, to look beyond her shame, and to look beyond her guilt to share her story. This was a woman, right, that had been divorced many times, living in, living in a relationship with a man that's not her husband, probably has kids from multiple different men. She's the, she's the disgrace of the community. She's the person that people go, hey, kids, uh, don't play with, that. Don't play with those, those kids over there. Don't play with that family. I don't ever want to see with that family. She's the one that's the laughing stock around people's dinner tables. She's the one that people pointed their fingers at and mocked as she walked down the street. But Jesus takes this woman in her frailty and in her brokenness, showing up at noon. Why? Because she doesn't want to run into anybody in the town. He takes all of this brokenness and he encourages it. He inspires it. He builds it back up. He wipes the shame off of it. He wipes the guilt off of it. And he empowers her and he says, woman, I am Jesus 
give your life to me. And she does, and she goes into the community and she starts proclaiming how amazing God is. And that's exactly what Jesus wants you and me to do. He wants us to go into our community and empower others and to literally encourage them. Wipe the dust off your testimony. Wipe the dust off of your story. Wipe the dust off of your old, nasty religiosity and come back to the heart of worship before God and let your life proclaim the good news of God. That's a great moment for you to say amen. Observation. The woman didn't get her life all put back together before she started telling people about who Jesus was. In modern day Christianity, all right, now, woman, great, I'm glad you gave your life to Jesus. Let me sit you down in the chair and let me tell you the things that you need to do now. Now what you need to do is you need to go back to that man. You need to tell him, move out of your house right now. You, you know, I'm not just some free, free place to have some sex. That's what you need to do. And you know what? You need to go take care of this problem, this problem, this problem. And once you get those taken care of, then you can come back into the doors of our church. And you would go, that would never happen. Oh, yeah. You know what? It might not happen verbally, but it happens in those nonverbal looks. It happens in those stereotypes that we establish. It happens when we make church an unsafe place for people to walk in just the way they are. It happens when we forget where we actually came from. It happens when we forget that we are sinners. And that without Christ, we're nothing. This woman meets Jesus, walks back to the community, leaves her jar at the well, and starts telling people about the man who knows everything about her life and starts proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And people started coming out because they were like, ah, I've never heard you talk this way. You are a completely different person. You are completely transformed. Notice who Jesus invested into. He invested in the most unlikely person. Never, ever think that your story is so normal that it's so boring that no one would want to hear it. Never think that. You might think, I'm the most unlikely person to share my story and have people see their lives changed. But Jesus took the most unlikely person and he empowered them and they saw a community changed. Your story has power. But you might go, well, Jeff, I don't have a story like you, man. I didn't, I didn't do those monster things that you did. I mean, I was raised in the church, and I love Jesus, and I, I still love him today. Guess what? You've got the most powerful story on planet Earth. So it doesn't matter what makes up your story, which, by the way, your story needs to be accurate and true. You don't need to make yourself look worse than what you were just to model God's grace. All you need to do is tell people who you really were and how God got a hold of your life. That's what the woman does. And guess what happens? A community is transformed. I'm not ashamed to tell you that's what I want for new life. I want our church to be a place where the power of our story is shared in this community, in North Platte, and wherever God calls us to plant a church. Because I want communities transformed. I want to see people live for God and know what it really means to have a true relationship with God that radically transforms their life. That's why I'm here today and I'm challenging you to get out of the bleachers and get into the game and start sharing your story. It needs to be told. Your story is powerful. And by the way, God made you the expert of your story. <laughs> Nobody can tell your story better than you. No one's lived it like you have. I don't know all the details, but you know them. Isn't that amazing how God says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I've called you to be my witness, and then he makes you the expert at being a witness? 
<laughs> well, I don't, I don't have to go to Bible school? No. All you have to do is go, God, I'm willing to share my story. And God made you the expert at it. So it's time for us to get out of the bleachers and get into the game. It's time for us to step up to the plate and go, God, here's my life. I want my life to be used to tell your story. So here's my challenge to you today. Are you faced with an opportunity to be like on a board? Are you faced of a, of a nonprofit organization in town? Are you faced with an opportunity to volunteer for an organization in town? Are you faced right now in deliberating with yourself whether you should take this position of influence or not take this position of influence? I'm telling you right now, take it. Take it. Let your life be in a position of influence. Let your life be in a place. Get yourself around people. Get yourself around people. Your story's powerless when it stays inside of here. You gotta get yourself rubbing shoulders with people. You gotta get yourself into situations where you're rubbing shoulders with people that need to hear your story. Don't just bog all of your everlasting minutes down serving inside the walls of a church. Take your life outside the walls of a church and find a place to belong and find a place to serve. Get yourself involved there. You're not gonna find a church that's going, hey, here's a bunch of community ministries you can be a part of. That's something you gotta take the initiative on. But that's a place where your story is going to be empowered. So my challenge to you today is, where can you get involved? Get involved because that's where God wants to use your story the most. In a minute, our worship teams are going to come. When they do, they're going to lead us to seek the face of Jesus. I want you to seek Christ with all the passion you've got inside of you. It's when you really know him that you can go out with authority and you can tell others about him. But if you're not willing to seek him and meet him at your own well and let the living water he's talking about come into your heart and stir inside of you, you've got nothing to share when you're out in the community. God's wanting to empower your story today, but he's gonna start with breaking your heart more for him. He's gonna start with giving you a greater passion for him. So today, as our worship teams are gonna come in a moment, I want you to worship God with passion. Let's wrap up today by hearing one more story about how one person's story impacted another one. Never forget the power of your story. Take a look at this video. My wife and I were living in Tucson, Arizona about 16 years ago almost, and through the family we hired this cleaning woman. She's working with us for about two weeks, and my wife kind of notices her singing that she does every day in her work. Eventually, after a few more days of this, went to Augusta and said, you know, I noticed you're singing and um, I was just curious, you know, why is every song about Jesus? Uh, perhaps there's another tune in your repertoire, so to speak. Um, and Augusta had a very interesting reaction uh, to the question. She literally burst out laughing in my wife's face. <laughs> I just had to do that, sorry. And Augusta said, you know, again, um, understand that the reason that I'm laughing is uh, you think the only reason that I'm here is to clean your house. <laughs> uh, so my wife, <laughs> she says, honey, um, I, I'd like to share with you something that Augusta just told me. And I said, what's that, dear? And she said, uh, well, she just explained to me that the real reason she's here is because in the future, you and I are going to become born-again Christians, and at some point after that, we're going to have our own ministry. And I said, 
That's the beginning of the journey for me. When I got to a place of willingness to just simply say to myself, okay, I'm willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I'm now going to ask God to show me what that means. And I'm going to read the Bible and apply it to my life to the best of my ability to have that understanding. That's when uh, this whole experience became very, very real for me.